Welcome to The Excellent Fiduciary, a podcast from Roland Chris, where we explore what it takes to meet and exceed the demands of managing an employee benefit plan in today's complex market. From regulatory developments to fiduciary news and practical tips, tune in to The Excellent Fiduciary for your step-by-step guide in achieving compliance and confidence in a new fiduciary era. Now let's begin today's show with an introduction from our Roland Chris host. I appreciate you joining us today for this episode of the Excellent Fiduciary Podcast. I'm Ron Hagen, and it's my pleasure to welcome Donnie Shimamoto as our distinguished guest expert. Let me tell you a little bit about Donnie. He's the founder and managing director of Enterprise Technologies, LLC. That's an advisory-focused CPA firm providing innovation management and organizational development services for small businesses, middle market organizations, and nonprofits. Donnie's an internationally recognized thought leader and educator in accounting technology, emerging technologies, IT risk management, and organizational performance management. He helps with IT risk assessments, streamlining internal operations, and increasing staff proficiency uh, with IT tools that support operations Donnie's list of achievements and leadership experiences are extensive, and here are just a few examples. Donnie's a recognized, has been recognized for many years as a top thought leader in public accounting by CPA Practice Advisor, and is a top 100 most influential people by accounting today in their list. Uh, he's also the co-chair of the National Conference of Lawyers and CPAs. He earned a BBA degree in accounting and management information systems technology from the University of Hawaii. Donnie, welcome to the microphone. Thank you, Ron. I am glad to be here with you. It's our pleasure to have you. And I I know your schedule is very uh, busy and we appreciate you taking time for for us today. Well, to start off with, Donnie, the executives and managers who staff retirement plan committees tend not to come from the technology side of the enterprise. And for that reason, Cybersecurity can be challenging for those who populate employee benefit plan committees. Cybersecurity has become one of the worst risk issues facing employers. And the DOL, the U.S. Department of Labor, has made a fiduciary obligation for human resources and finance executives to implement and follow cybersecurity best practices. Now, on top of all of that, the hybrid work model that has swept America in the wake of the COVID pandemic introduces a complication in developing fiduciary best practices. And Donnie, you have a lot of experience in helping non-technology executives comprehend the risks and the remedies that the work-from-home culture presents. So let's start there. Sure, yes, and and thank you. That's who uh, (laughs) gave the really long explanation of our firm and in short, what, what we do is we sit between business, whether it's accounting or HR or even the executive suite, and often the IT function, which could include cybersecurity, and, and really just help them talk and get some of the jargon out of the way and help uh, executives really understand the risks that are occurring. So, you know, you mentioned the COVID pandemic and uh, in a lot of ways, you know, if we, if we want to look at the positive of the pandemic, the positive is that we saw a lot of these technologies that have literally been around for decades. You know, if we look at instant messaging, that's well over 20 years when we first saw AOL Instant Messenger come out. 
these meeting technologies, you know, that goes back to uh, Skype, not Skype for business, but Skype when it first introduced these video meetings, you know, that definitely was over 10 years ago. So we've had a lot of these things that have been around for a while that uh, a lot of companies just haven't adopted. And so, you know, when I when I look at it, I say, well, I'm so glad that uh, that the pandemic, in a sense, uh, got everyone to finally do these things, because what it does to me is is it helps uh, us to embrace these business practices like hybrid work that are really enabling more of this work-life balance that we keep talking about, that we have also been talking about probably for decades at this point. But what a lot of people are have, haven't fully thought through, and we're seeing this now that people are returning to work, is that as I as I allow people to either continue to work remote or as I start to do this hybrid model, that there are additional risks that I haven't been dealt with. And we can see that there's an elevation of these risks through the cyber insurance or cyber liability insurance market, where the rates there are doubling, tripling, sometimes even quadrupling for organizations. And as you know, anyone involved in insurance knows, the reason that rates increase is because there's been incidences and, and things that have happened that insurance is having to cover. So we've seen a ton of increase in cyber data breaches, in ransomware attacks, you know, and, and actually the weakest point for all of that is when the person is working outside of the office. So anytime they're working from home, on a home network, they're not behind that stronger firewall that we have in the offices. Uh, they're around other non-secure devices. So, you know, if they, even worse, if they're actually working on a home computer and just remoting into the office, because that home computer is not subject to the same level of, of security that the work computer is, or they may have roommate or family member devices that are on the same network that, Maybe they're, you know, going on things that are not quite as secure, you know, websites and other things. Maybe the it's the other person in the house that is downloading the malware. And if the person if the person that's doing work is not on a computer that's secured well, well, that malware can move from one of the roommates or family members' computers onto their computer. And then if they take that, if they happen to be on a laptop and they bring that into the office, well, now they've just introduced that malware into the office. So that from a pure technical security standpoint, you know, there's a bunch of risks there. There's a bunch of things that we can do to, to help to mitigate some of those risks. The other thing, though, that I like people to remember, and especially with, with this audience that you guys have, it's the fact that you're dealing with PII, right? You're dealing with social security numbers. And if you're having to do like payouts or something, you're dealing with someone's bank routing number to be able to get that, uh, get that payout to them. Well, those are all things that even more so need to be protected because all of our different state laws and federal laws all protect that information. So as you start to look at that, we also need to think about, well, who can overhear your phone calls, right? Who, who, if you're taking down a social security number from someone, like a planned participant calls and says, oh, I need help. And you're like, okay, well, tell me your social security number. Well, if you're on, for example, speakerphone with them, which I know a lot of people don't like to have the headset on all day. So at, at home, they're 
they're working on their laptop. They said, oh, it's only me in the, in the room. I can just put the speakerphone on. Well, think you got to think about who's around you. And maybe, maybe you're like, oh, I can trust my family members. But if you or often I often say to think about your staff, like you might be in a big house and you might have really good construction, but maybe some of your staff, especially the junior staff, you know, who is the frontline helping plan participants, maybe they're in an apartment. Or maybe they're somewhere, you know, if they're in a condo building and they're working near a window that's open and let's say the sound echoes, you know, out into the between the two buildings or into an alleyway, like where, who can overhear this stuff? So you got to be really careful about who can actually overhear uh, different types of conversations. The other thing that we see happening a lot, too, is people recording conversations so that we can you know we have good trail of like well what did they actually say well if those recordings are actually uh, being stored somewhere those now have PII on them so we have to think about how do we protect those recordings if someone gets into all the files what is potentially at risk you know so making sure things like zoom or teams have the record by default uh, disabled that becomes important uh, another a popular one, as I've said, with the instant messaging is right, just instant messaging back and forth. And so whether you're in Zoom chat or Teams chat, uh, you know, any of these other chat messages, uh, other than text messaging, you know, if you're looking at all these other ones, sometimes there's a there's a chat log that's stored somewhere. For example, Microsoft Teams generally stores it automatically within Outlook. So if you've told someone, oh, you know what, to make it easy, just, just type in your social security number or type in your uh, bank routing number so I can put it into the form for you, right? Now that might be part of that chat log. So there's a lot of different exposures when we start to think not just about working at home, but just working digitally in general. Well, Donnie, the, uh, sadly, the responsibility for uh, theft or breaches of retirement plan participant data and assets falls on uh, generally human resources uh, primarily. And you've identified some gateways through which these kinds of uh, attacks and loss of data happens. It certainly seems like human resources uh, executives uh, are needing to, uh, to, uh, to attend to these uh, issues really in, in an unprecedented way. So from your perspective, how could human resources uh, executives work with their IT departments to mitigate or reduce the risk of these kinds of exposures? Uh, you, you said that really well. It's a big part of that is working with your IT departments. And sometimes what the IT departments don't realize is they don't realize the detail of what's going on. So they might be looking at, well, the company as a whole doesn't deal with PII and they don't realize, well, you know, whether it's human resources or finance, like they're dealing with more sensitive information. So maybe we need to help secure their machines down a little more. Maybe they need an elevated level of security protection. So part of that comes in, uh, you know, additional protections around malware, maybe even having next generation antivirus that looks at behaviors rather than just file patterns. Sometimes uh, a big part of this, though, is actually looking at the processes themselves. And this is particularly true with privacy risk. So, you know, I gave the example, you, you've got one of your 
uh, first line people, front line people, talking with plan participants and asking for social security numbers or bank routing numbers or even a credit card number, right? If, you, if you're going to charge them for, for processing a, a, a 401k loan request, you're like, well, you got to pay us the fee. And they say, well, you know, what, can you just put on my credit card? And then they, they give you a credit card number. Ask yourself whether or not your people have somewhere that is properly secured to either take that information in or to provide that in, and, and maybe even to process it, to get it all the way to the point of processing. Are they putting it directly into the systems that they need to put it into? Are they having to write it down? Or are they putting it like into an Excel spreadsheet? Actually even worse, this is one of those times where, where paper actually is better because we can, we can make sure and secure paper a lot easier than we can do digital. So making sure that the people actually have the facilities as they're taking down these numbers to put them in someplace secure or actually just process the transaction outright, uh, that's probably the biggest part. So part of it is collaboration with IT to getting more of these security measures in place. And then part of it is really just looking at your work processes and making sure that the way that your people are handling this information is secure. And, uh, you know, actually, as I said that, one other thing that I think uh, people don't often do enough, and we actually did some research around this one. So uh, my firm does some cybersecurity research around cybersecurity practices. And we, we were checking to see, you know, which of these practices did, um, did people look at? And the one that was missing the most was security of the home network. I mentioned earlier all of the risks that are there. Well, one of the easiest way to mitigate some of those risks is to have your IT people do a mini uh, security assessment on the home network. And you know that this is not like where we're trying to like penetrate it or do any of these other types of things on it. It's simply looking at the configuration of the home network router, making sure the encryption is being used, making sure the firewall on that router is configured to protect the individual machines. You know, some of these have antivirus on them, making sure those things are enabled. In all, it, it takes maybe an hour, maybe two at the most, uh, but it can really help prevent uh, having some of these data breaches or malware attacks from occurring. I appreciated very much your illustration and explanation of how uh, IT professionals can, uh, in many cases, uh, miss out on the application of their uh, technology skills. And that's completely understandable from a business unit perspective. And in fact, in our servicing to retirement plan committees, uh, I, I think it's safe to say that cybersecurity to them is a modern kind of a tech savvy buzzword that often makes their their eyes glaze over. <laughs> uh, uh, and that mindset is risky because cybersecurity ranks among the most challenging issues facing human resources, finance, and administration executives. Uh, the U.S. Department of Labor certainly has made that even uh, more emphatic by introducing a cyber audit initiative that is now coupling with its regular routine plan audits that is causing fiduciary committees to rethink cybersecurity as a pure information technology issue and placing a burden on them to follow a compliance framework. Uh, we've talked about the importance of collaboration with IT, and I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts about how, practically speaking, 
a committee of business unit managers, non-IT people usually. It's rare to find an IT executive on a fiduciary committee. Not quite sure how that practice emerged, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's the way it is. So what could fiduciary committees do from a practical ongoing standpoint in your from your perspective to actually embrace, that is to collaborate with IT executives on an ongoing basis? The key here, I think, is risk assessment. And so I say that in that when we look at a lot of the technology that is the domain of IT, what the committees need to do is they need to get their IT people, you know, the IT executive, the IT director, they need to get them to translate these security issues into business risks. And that, that's why I keep bringing up this privacy aspect. So privacy would be one way. In what ways would we have a potential privacy breach occur? Another way to look at it is in business continuity. So the, the ransomware type attacks that lock down a system, that poses a business continuity risk. It'll stop you from getting into your systems. Data may or may not have also been siphoned off. In a lot of cases, we find data hasn't been, been siphoned off. So it's really just, I can't get to my data. So you need to think about how would you continue to operate? You know, luckily the, the plan participant, unless you're really big, it's not something that you're dealing with like on a day-to-day, -day, like, you know, you have your whole dedicated team. So your HR teams are maybe working on, can work on some other things. Um, you know, no one dies if they don't get access to their plan. So it's, it's right. not as critical as like a hospital or, you know, something else where we have that time sensitivity. But having that discussions with IT around, well, how does this end up impacting me? How long would the systems be long? How long would it take you to bring them up? That allows the business side then to think about, well, two things. One if I'm gonna be down that long, can I be down that long? And are there alternate manual procedures that I need to figure out to be able to operate? You know, the easiest example for this is kind of is stores, retail stores. So uh, I know you're old enough, I'm old enough. Hopefully a lot of the others on here are old enough to remember when we used to do credit cards in the past, they used to have that clunky machine and you'll chunk, 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 right? To get the yeah. image of the machine. So that's like the manual, if I can't process credit cards because my credit card processing is down, can I actually, do I have these on hand? Can I actually do this? Or am I going to have my employees break out their cell phones and use, you know, Square or one of these other ones we see at a lot of these farmer markets and things? Like, what is the alternative path? So that's one thing to think about. The other one is... Also, what is the cost of actually remediating it? So if you if you listen to what IT says and you go, oh, that's not a risk that we can accept. So the next question starts to become, well, how can we reduce that risk? And there will be different types of technologies. There's different types, there's different options. Uh, we often think of compliance as a minimal option and usually above compliance. There's what, uh, well, I think of compliance, actually, I should call it a basic. So if I think of complete of compliance, this is the basic level at which we need to operate or the minimal level, but there might be a better practice and there might be a best practice. And I'm purposely using two different words because that better practice may not completely mitigate the risk, 
but it may help to reduce that risk. And the cost of a better practice or a technology that gets us to that better level may not be as expensive as getting us to that best level. And so that's where we can start to have some, you know, ROI or trade-off or cost-benefit type of discussions around if we purchase this additional thing, whether it's a security technology, whether it's a, a hot disaster site, you know, whatever the case may be, how can I now quantify the additional or the reduced risk that we would see? or the reduced ability, the, the increased ability to come back to operational levels faster. And that again, be, starts to become a business discussion rather than a technology discussion. So hopefully those two tips help, help can help committees actually transition uh, you know, that discussion. I, of course, I'll throw the last one in, which is, which is what we do. It's partly why we're here. <laughs> that, that's how we help get them through those discussions. Indeed. Uh, thank you. I think those are, uh are excellent tips and taken seriously. It's a great place to start incorporating the IT function into a fiduciary committee's considerations. You mentioned something a, a couple of minutes ago I, I'd like to come back to. Uh, the employee benefit plan world is, of course, uh, very regulatory intensive. So for an, an employer to be able to uh, detect whether they meet these new cybersecurity requirements you mentioned something about an assessment. What what does a cybersecurity assessment entail uh, uh, from the perspective of a non-IT person? Sure, and I, I want to make sure that we're we're using the this this one has a nuance on terminology. So when you talk about a cybersecurity assessment, usually what that's referring to is a technology or a technical. Uh, vulnerability or, or assessment. So that is very much in IT's realm. What technologies are in place? How have they been implemented? Have they been configured correctly? Uh, that's normally when you hear cybersecurity assessment. Now, the, the other terminology that we're going to use is cybersecurity risk assessment. And that was what I mentioned earlier. It's this risk assessment. And it, this is not just within the privacy, privacy area. This is a general requirement. Um, usually, I sh maybe I shouldn't say requirement. This is a general best practice for the IT function as a whole. With the cybersecurity risk assessment, this is where we're trying to understand, one, what is the inherent risks within an organization? Two, what controls have been put into place to mitigate those risks? And then three, what is then the residual risk? So if I have a risk that I'm handling PII, social security numbers, bank routing numbers, then what have I done to protect them? Are we providing the uh, encrypted spaces for them to put that information in? Uh, if it's some type of web, web form, is the form you know, it's secured with SSL? Uh, so those would be the controls that we put into place. And then that last one is then, well, what's the residual risk? And this is kind of where I was getting to with my last comments, that it's the question of whether or not this residual risk is acceptable by management. And by acceptable by management, it could be that it results in fines and penalties. It could be that it results in a business, uh, a loss of business operations for a given time, right? What is that residual risk? And then is management okay with the additional dollars that would have to be spent 
uh, in the event that the risk materialized or they would be okay with the downtime if it was something related to operations. And then on that, we then layer again this concept of, well, what are our options, whether they're better or best case or uh, best practices to mitigate these risks and what do they cost? So again, it, it's coming back to this whole, it's translating it back, not just on technical risk, but to business risks and whether or not how those business risks fit into whatever then requirement frameworks are then required. And, and as you indicated, right, we've, we've got the, the DOLs uh, requirements that are, that are there. We also have state privacy law requirements and some federal privacy law requirements, especially if it's related to health information. So it's about looking at all of these different compliance frameworks and figuring out what do we have to comply with, which as I mentioned is a minimum, and then what, how, how much more do we wanna protect ourselves? And then making sure all of those are done within a business context rather than a technology context. Well, you've made an important distinction in the assessment uh, discussion. I, I appreciate that. And I, I do agree with you that there is a nuance in the use of that terminology. And we should uh, be careful as we think about cybersecurity from a business unit manager, uh, manager's perspective that we're looking at risk. We're not looking primarily at technology. Uh, that's a great point you made. Exactly. Yes. Well, as we approach the end of the time that we've set aside for today's podcast, would you just take a few minutes and summarize for our, our audience the most critical issues facing risk managers that you've encountered in your practice? Ooh, summarize. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> the one, so the key ones we talked with talked about today really were, you know, first, if we're allowing people to work remote, to make sure that the home environment is being secured. So that's probably the number one. The number two is looking, as you just indicated, not just at it from a cybersecurity risk, but also looking at it from a privacy risk. So looking at the workflow itself, because those are things especially that uh, the business unit will have more control over. And then also ensuring that as IT is looking at the bigger picture of this, or even as the fiduciary committees are looking at the bigger picture of this, to ensure that these technology risks are being translated into business risks. You know, and as I'm, as I'm seeing those things, the very last thing, which we didn't touch on at all, but is probably the most important, is end user awareness. So ensuring that your staff and even the employees that you're serving for the organization, that they're all aware of how to identify phishing attacks, how those should be reported, and that they're being vigilant about what they're doing. That this, the, the, the person that makes that mistake of clicking on that link or putting the information somewhere that's not secured, that's probably the easiest thing for us to mitigate, but it's the most difficult for us to keep at the top of people's minds. So training and awareness is key all around, regardless of what type of actual controls you put in place. That's a great point. And uh, the word training pops into my mind as I hear you talk about that. And yet I'm not quite sure at this point that cybersecurity training um, occupies the attention or even the agendas of organizations, at least from what we've experienced in the fiduciary committee space. Mm. 
yeah, that ooh, that scares me. <laughs> that scares me to hear that. Yeah, we, yeah. we need to get uh, more of this awareness training out there. Mm. Well, Donnie, I'm very grateful for your time with us today. Uh, the breadth of your exposure to the, these challenges we've talked about, uh, dealing with enterprise-level cybersecurity risks and the business uh, perspective as well, has made your suggestions very worth considering. And I hope our audience will... Uh, uh, has been taking notes or will at least replay the podcast to come back and pick up on the, uh, the wonderful points you've made. So thank you very much for sharing them with us. Uh, you're welcome. If anyone has any more questions, they can reach me at Donnie at enterprise.us or I'm on LinkedIn. It's just Donnie Shimamoto. Terrific. And uh, yes, audience, I encourage you to contact Donnie. In fact, more of his, uh, another location for his contact information is on the podcast page for today's episode. Well, there are additional resources regarding cybersecurity on our website at rolandchris.com forward slash cybersecurity. And as we wrap up this episode of the Excellent Fiduciary Podcast, I want to thank you, our audience for your participation. We enjoy receiving feedback, so please make your comments about today's episode on our podcast page at rolandchris.com forward slash podcast, where again, you may find uh, contact information for Donnie. Now you all may also contact us by email at excellentfiduciary, all one word, at rolandchris.com. Well, we look forward to hearing from you and I hope you'll join us on our next podcast. And until then, have a great day.